Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you news this week from the United States, Spain, Russia, Australia, and a see you in hell, that's the celebration of a dead right-winger, from South Africa. going to start out with the United States. Both of these little tidbits of news have to do with Donald Trump, but they're both sort of obliquely about Donald Trump. The big Trump news is actually coming tomorrow. So the news about Donald Trump that I haven't covered yet, which is partly because I was using canned episodes last week, is that Trump and his allies have gotten big indictments in the United States state of Georgia. Trump and his allies have been charged with over a dozen crimes. Uh, Trump and Giuliani both face 13 criminal charges. The other allies face other ones themselves. All of these relate to their attempts to overturn the election results in Georgia, which relatively surprisingly swung for President Joe Biden in the 2020 presidential election. Now, a lot of Trump's allies have already gone to Georgia in order to submit themselves to the court. They have, you know, said, hey, here I am, I'm appearing, I have been charged with a crime. They have had their bail set, they have made their bail. In some cases, including that of Rudy Giuliani, they had to have a fundraiser in order to make this bail. Donald Trump is going to go to Georgia tomorrow, as I'm recording this today, when you're listening to it, Thursday, August the 24th, and he is going to have to submit himself to the court in the way that he has multiple times over the last several months to answer for some of his crimes. Now, one of the big differences here, based on, you know, compared to the other criminal proceedings that Donald Trump is currently facing, one of the big differences between those other cases and this Georgia case is that this Georgia case implicates a lot of his aides directly. Like I said, many of them have already appeared. The things that they are charged with include conspiracy to commit forgery, as in like trying to forge or in other ways, spread disinformation about Georgian elections, encouraging elected officials to violate their oaths of office, that is, by encouraging state officials in Georgia to ignore certain poll results in certain jurisdictions and precincts in Georgia, and also by encouraging certain elected officials in Georgia to provide different electors to the Electoral College, right? People who are not going to vote for Joe Biden the way they're supposed to, but who are instead going to vote for Donald Trump. Trump and Rudy Giuliani, who, like I said, is also charged with 13 crimes in the state, they are both charged with racketeering, which is typically a mob charge. In the United States, racketeering is a charge that, you know, it's like when you use what appears to be a legitimate business venture in order to make money illicitly. That's typically what racketeering means. Now, the other people in Trump's legal team that have been indicted in Georgia include Eastman, one of the people who is behind Donald Trump's plan to take over the United States if he were to able to stay in the presidency for longer than he was supposed to. Another person includes an attorney named Cheesebro, who was planning the Georgian false elector scheme. Also, three of the other people who are being indicted are people who were going to be some of these false electors. Like I said, Donald Trump is going to appear in court today, as you're listening to this, August the 24th, and who, who knows what that's going to look like. He's going to get a mugshot, which is something that he hasn't done in any of his other court cases. Now, the other big news that's happened in the Republican Party of the United States is that last night on August the 23rd, there was a debate in the Republican Party. 
This debate has been dubbed by many Trump supporters the vice presidential debate because Donald Trump was not there. Instead, he was giving a private interview with Tucker Carlson to be released simultaneously and directly on X, the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, at exactly the same time as the GOP presidential debate. All the GOP hopefuls were there. There were a whole bunch of them, many that you don't need to know about. The important ones are Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina, who is an extreme right-wing candidate, but is sort of a relative moderate in some ways, largely in that she doesn't think that the Republicans should try for a national abortion ban. There includes Chris Christie, who is a an anti-Trump stoolie, basically, like that's what he's doing. He's just there to say mean stuff about Trump so that the other candidates can get away with not saying that. There's Mike Pence, Donald Trump's former vice president, who's trying to distance himself from Trump and trying to appear to be a, a stable right-wing candidate. There's Ron DeSantis, who is the current not-Trump frontrunner, the current governor of Florida. And there's also Vivek Ramaswamy, who is a radical right-wing businessman. However, these debates are probably falling on deaf ears in the Republican Party, because as of yesterday, as of August the 23rd, all of these people were polling way behind Donald Trump, and I mean like way behind. Donald Trump is polling at over 60% inside of the Republican Party. Last I looked, it was 62. The nearest candidate to him is Ron DeSantis, who's polling around 15%. This means that, like, I... I, like, I, I don't know what Donald Trump would be capable of doing that would not get him the Republican nomination for the presidency. Like, he's been indicted on multiple crimes. He's appeared in court. He's going to continue to appear in court. Like, I literally don't know what could keep him from getting this nomination. This means that the people who are vying for the nomination in these debates have a really complicated game to play. Are they trying to get like Trump to need to convince them to support him? Are they trying to save face for the Republican Party in order to like, you know, make a, a post-Trump Republican Party? That's what they tried to do in 2020, and it didn't work. The party continued to be run by him even after he was out of office. Moving on outside of the United States, moving on to Spain. In Spain, the conservative leader of the Partido Popular, the popular party, has been offered the prime ministership. This would-be Prime Minister, Alberto Fejo, has been offered the Prime Minister by Spain's King Felipe VI. However, he has a problem. While his party got the most votes in the recent election in Spain, it does not have enough to clinch a majority in the Spanish Parliament. It doesn't even have enough to clinch a majority with the second biggest right-wing party, Vox, an extreme right-wing party. And because... It needs a coalition with Vox in order to form a right-wing coalition. Other right-wing parties don't want to work with it. That means that it is several seats short of a majority, which means that Fejo cannot be the prime minister of Spain. This means that after he fails to form a coalition, the ability to form one would go back to the Socialist Party, which was previously the ruling party of Spain, and they would need to form another coalition, again, probably with some conservatives, in this case, probably Catalonian separatists. And if they fail to form a coalition, then the Spanish voters will go back to the ballots in December for the sixth time in seven years. They are facing a really serious political impasse in Spain. Moving on to Australia, 
Australia has hosted its version of CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, a conference that began in the United States but which has spread all around the world. There are CPACs in Mexico, there's been one in Israel, Hungary hosted one, and now here there is one in Australia. The expansion of CPAC into the rest of the world is good news for conservatives because it's creating an international conservative movement, but it's bad news for the rest of us. The big news coming out of CPAC Australia is that a so-called comedian, whose name I'm not going to promote here, insulted and hurled slurs at indigenous Aboriginal Australians during his so-called comedy skit. Specifically, this so-called comedian claimed or insinuated that Aboriginal Australian men are sexual abusers and that their traditional ownership over Australia is in question because of this. The runner of CPAC Australia, and also the leader of one of Australia's more conservative political movements, has been supporting this comedian, saying, you know, it's all in good fun. The comedian has said that he was, quote-unquote, playing a character. Probably heard that one before. This is coming at the same time that Australia is seeing a major political push nationally to increase the power and voice of Indigenous people in politics. Specifically, there is an upcoming vote and decision about a project called The Voice, which would intentionally increase the power of Aboriginal Australians in Australian politics. This is a bad look for the Conservatives in Australia. And going to move on to Russia, where a plane in which Prigozhin was a passenger has crashed or been shot down. Recall that Prigozhin was the former leader of the Wagner Group, a far-right paramilitary mercenary group that formed in Moscow and came out of Moscow, but which has operated all around the world, primarily in third world countries. So we're talking about uh, in Syria, in certain parts of Africa, where it was largely a force for authoritarians and other people who wanted to dominate the lives of others. Prigozhin earlier this year staged an attempted coup against the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, because he said that the Wagner group was really skeptical and critical of Putin's performance in Russia's ongoing invasion of Ukraine. Prigozhin's attempt to take over Russia from Putin is probably the, the most viable military coup that has happened in Russia ever since the collapse of the Soviet Union. And it was thwarted by Putin. And Prigozhin was offered essentially like a sort of life in exile. I honestly don't know why he was in Moscow. Uh, he has been in and out of Moscow. I, if I were him, I would have gotten out of Dodge and never been back in a Slavic country, knowing that probably what was going to happen if you came back was that you would, for example, mysteriously experience a plane crash on your way from Moscow to St. Petersburg. Um, I mean, it, this could be an accident, but I mean, come on. I mean, come on. He was almost certainly assassinated. He had to have known that that was a risk if he ever set foot in Moscow again. Finally, going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, I'm talking about J.G. Sturgeon, the fifth prime minister of South Africa and a strident South African nationalist. Sturgeon was born on an Afrikaner farm in 1893. This means that his ancestors were descended from German and Dutch and other 
you know, Germanic peoples who settled in South Africa as colonizers in the 18th and 19th centuries. Sturgeon was born in what was at the time the Cape Colony, a British colony. His father was a well-known and well-respected, among white people, local businessman. He was also a stridently racist colonizer who supported strong white power over indigenous black Africans. Stridgedom attended law school in Pretoria and used that to launch his political career. However, that was after he served with the United Kingdom against the Germans in the Southwest Africa campaign. Stridgedom moved to Transvaal after the war. This is an interior South African province known for its prominent power of Afrikaner politicians. He became a leader of the white people there and eventually joined the South African government in the 1930s. In the 1930s, the Afrikaner political party essentially had a, had a split, and uh, Sturgeon stuck with the, the hardline, right-wing, racist part of this party. In 1948, this proved a successful move on his part because he became a minister in the first apartheid government of South Africa. He was the Minister of Agriculture and Irrigation in this first apartheid government of the National Party under Prime Minister Milan. Stridgedom then succeeded Prime Minister Milan in 1954 and supported severing ties with the British monarchy. He supported increasing the power of white minority rule in the country. He believed in taking the right to vote away from mixed-race people. In other words, Stridgedom was one of the main architects of hardline apartheid politics in South Africa, an ideology that he carried from his father and also from the politics and beliefs of his father's ancestor. Stridgedom was well on his way to cementing his own power and that of Afrikaner and white people in South Africa throughout his life. He thought that that power should be severe and terrible. He was very much in favor of very strict and cruel policies against people of color in South Africa. However, he himself was interrupted on his journey as a racist and fascist because of his sickly health. He had heart disease and probably an undiagnosed form of cancer. And he died today in history, the 24th of August, 1958. He was succeeded in the prime ministership by another apartheid radical and goes down in history as one of the progenitors of apartheid South Africa. So, J.G. Stridgedom, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 Minutes of Fascism. That's 15 Minutes of Fascism spelled out in all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Hist of the Right, that's H I S T of the Right, and Fascism15, that's spelled out in all one word. On Blue Sky, however, I am on Blue Sky at 15 M I N S O F F A S C. All right, thanks very much, and I will talk to you next week. Thank you.